We'll be moving around the scriptures this evening, but you might like to keep your Bibles open at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our subject this evening is the second Adam. The second Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45, it says, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And then in verse 47, it says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Christ is described there as the last Adam or the second man. Or putting those two things together, we might say he is uh, the second Adam. Romans 5 verse 14, which we read, tells us that Adam was a figure or type of Christ. In the Old Testament, we find people and even objects that are types or pictures of Christ. For example, if we look at King David, much of his life pictures or foreshadows the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born at Bethlehem, so was Jesus. He was a shepherd, and Jesus is the good shepherd. His defeat of Goliath foreshadows Christ's victory over Satan upon the cross. David was king of Israel, and Jesus is the king of kings. And there are many other things we could uh, think of in the life of David, uh, which provide us with a picture uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we think about the ark in uh, the book of Genesis, Noah uh, and his family were saved by entering into the ark. And the ark pictures the salvation of all who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we're told here that Adam was a type of Christ, is not so much a, a resemblance as a contrast. Jesus Christ is everything that Adam wasn't. It's more correct perhaps to say that Adam is the antitype or the opposite uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we want to understand how Christ is the second Adam, then we need to do a comparison uh, with the first Adam and that's what we're going to do uh, this evening. The first thing I want to say is that Adam was a created being. Adam was a created being. In Genesis 1 verse 27 it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. I think the Lord is telling us something very important there in that opening chapter of Genesis. Three times in one verse, it tells us that mankind was created by God. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Mankind didn't evolve slowly by chance. He was created uh, by Almighty God. Genesis 2.7 provides us uh, with more detail on the matter. It says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's very specific. Adam came from the ground. It's interesting that men find it hard to believe that God created man from the dust of the earth. 
But what do they believe instead? Well, I went on to the website of the University of Chicago, uh, and this is what it said there. It said, organic molecules may have formed in certain types of clay minerals. In other words, the building blocks for human life, they're saying, came uh, from the ground. Well, they're right on the origin, but not uh, on the process. But the point I'm making here is that, that people will believe that life came from the ground by chance, but they can't believe that it did so through the power of a creator God. They cling to the impossible, but they won't accept the logical. But if Adam was a created being, then Christ was very different. The position is summed up in the Nicene Creed, which was written in the, the fourth century. It says, he, that is Jesus, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. John 3.16, of course, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The authorised version there very accurately translate, translates the Greek as only begotten Son. In the Greek, only begotten it is one word, monogenes. Jesus is God's monogenes, Son. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand the significance of that word. It has two syllables. The first syllable is mono, which means one or only. The second syllable is genes, which gives us the English word genes. Not the sort that you wear, but genes with a G, which are the basic units of heredity passed on from parent to child. Now we shouldn't try to think of this in, in physical terms concerning Christ. It's describing something which is impossible for us to an understand in, in, in terms that we can, can comprehend as much as possible. But it's telling us that Jesus is the very image of the Father. He is the only Son of God who has those divine attributes. He is co-equal and co-eternal with his heavenly Father. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul says, the first man is of the earth, earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. And Colossians 2.9 says, In him, that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is not a created being as the cults teach. He is God. The second thing I want to say is that Adam became a, a living soul. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45, it says, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The word there translated soul refers either to someone's human identity or to their eternal soul. 
as for example in Matthew 10.28 where it talks about body and soul. The word soul there is the same that is used here in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and the context here implies uh, the same use. It's telling us that Adam was more than just a physical body. In Genesis 2.7 it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. There is a contrast between animals and mankind. Man is not just flesh and blood. He has a God-breathed soul. But we see also here in these verses the, the distinction between God and man. Man receives life from God, but God is the very source of life. In John 5 verse 26, Jesus said, As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Christ, as Paul says, is a life-giving spirit. He has life in himself. He imparts that life uh, to others. He is the very source of life. Jesus could say, I, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then next we note that Adam sinned. Adam sinned. Genesis records the solemn fact that Adam sinned against God. Adam, of course, tried to blame Eve. Eve tried to blame the serpent. But the fact remains that Adam sinned. He disobeyed God. Romans 5.12 says, By one man sin entered into the world. And that sinful nature is passed on from generation to generation. Every man and woman born into this world has been infected by it. Everyone, that is, except for one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ had no earthly father. He was the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is the eternal Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. The scripture says that he was holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners. It says that he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He lived a perfect life in the midst of sinful men. The first Adam sinned. The second Adam was tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. And then next we see that Adam brought, brought a curse on the world. In Genesis 3, when Adam sinned, God said, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. This perfect world that God had created was cursed because of sin. It would no longer be a perfect environment in which to live. Life would be hard. It would bring forth thorns and thistles and all the other imperfections that this sinful world now has. It would become a place of sorrow and suffering. 
We all know what it's like to live in a cursed world. We bear the effects of it. We know the toils and troubles of life. We battle against the thorns and the thistles, as it were, uh, that plague us uh, in this life. But note this, that God cursed the world for man's sake. The curse didn't fall directly on man, but God deflected it. He cursed the world for man's sake. Later on, when God cursed Cain uh, for murdering his brother, Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. He was already living under the general curse uh, upon the ground, but this was something uh, additional, something more direct, more intense. It's a solemn thing to be cursed by Almighty God. It removes all hope. But at the very beginning, God showed his mercy in that he cursed the ground instead of Adam. Adam brought a curse upon the world and suffering upon mankind. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to deal with the curse. Indeed, the Bible says that he was cursed for us. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. In Genesis, God showed his mercy by cursing the earth and not man. But now we see the, the full extent of God's love in that he poured out the curse upon his own dear son, as he hung upon the cross at Calvary. Jesus took the penalty for sin upon himself and he did so in order to redeem us from the curse of the law and to restore that broken relationship with God. If we trust in Christ and in his work upon the cross, then the curse is broken. The law no longer has dominion over us. We know the forgiveness of sins through his precious blood and we have fellowship with God through him. And then next I want to say that Adam brought death upon mankind. He brought a curse upon the world and with it he brought death upon mankind. Adam was told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then Satan came uh, with the lie. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good uh, and evil. And so they ate. They disobeyed God and death came upon mankind. God pronounced his judgment, saying, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. People don't like to talk about death. It's the elephant in the room. It's a reality. It's all around us. We are all subject to it. Somewhere in the world, nearly four people die every second. That's another four, and another four, and another four, and so on. 231 lives end every minute. 
Every hour, 13,860 people enter eternity. And the statistics testify to the truth of Scripture in Ezekiel 18.20, when it says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. We are all sinners, and none of us ultimately can evade death unless the Lord Jesus Christ should come first. But there is hope, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Here is the great contrast. Adam died. He returned to the dust. But the Lord Jesus Christ died. He was buried, but three days later he rose again from the dead. And in so doing he wrought victory over death. The grave has been conquered. The curse is overcome. Paul says, Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Adam brought death upon mankind. Christ brought life and immortality. He paid for our sins upon the cross. He broke the curse. He rose again, conquering the grave. And those who trust in him receive forgiveness and eternal life. Note that when it says that in Christ shall all be made alive, it doesn't mean that everyone automatically receives eternal life. The promise is to those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ shall be made alive. Those who have confessed their sin and asked for pardon. Those who have looked to Christ and cried for mercy. And the big question therefore is this, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in him? Do you acknowledge him as your Lord and Saviour? And then I want to say that Adam was the father of all of us. Adam was the father of all of us. Well, we've already noted that uh, in passing, but I want to emphasize uh, the point. In Genesis 3.20, Adam called his wife's name Eve. It says, because she was the mother of all living. It's interesting that science supports that statement. Geneticists say that everyone living today has a common ancestor, we can all be traced back to one original mother. They even call her Eve. Their timeline may be a little bit different to the Bible, not as much as you might think actually, uh, but it's different because of the assumptions that they make. But if Eve is the mother of all mankind, then Adam uh, is the father of all mankind. We're all descended from him. We all inherit that sinful nature from him. Romans 5.12 says, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And therefore we're all subject to death and deserving of judgment. But when we become a Christian, when we truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we become the children of God. We receive eternal life through him. We are all children of Adam. 
but the Christian is born again by the Holy Spirit. We become new creatures in him. There is a sense in which we can say that we are the the children of Christ because we are born again through him. Isaiah puts it like this, he says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed or his offspring. In other words, when we accept his sacrifice as an offering for our sin, we become the children of the heavenly king. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. All mankind, every one of us, can trace our existence back to Adam. But the Christian obtains eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the life giver. He is able to give us life more abundantly. It's not a case of who you are, or what you are, or what you've achieved in life. It's a question of whether you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Bacon was a 19th century sculptor uh, who was buried in Westminster Abbey. Uh, And this inscription was placed on his tombstone. I I, I guess that uh, he asked for it to be placed there uh, before he died. It, It says, What I was as an artist seemed of some importance to me whilst I lived. But what I was as a believer in Jesus Christ is the only thing of importance to me now. And that's true, isn't it? There are so many things that are important to us in life. But when life ultimately draws to a close, only one thing will matter, and that is whether we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. A second century Greek by the name of Aristides wrote a letter to a friend. Neither of them were were Christians, but this is what he wrote to his friend, trying to explain the success of the new religion of Christianity. He said, if any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they accompany the body with songs and thanksgiving, as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. Well, we still do that today, don't we? And we don't do it because they were a child of Adam. We do it because they were trusting in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, and because they have salvation in him. Well, we see that the first Adam was a failure. The second Adam was the glorious and all-prevailing Son of God. The first Adam brought sin and shame and death upon mankind. The second Adam brought life and immortality through his death and wrought the victory again, but wrought the victory by rising again from the dead. The hymn writer puts it like this, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. O wisest love, that flesh and blood, which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive 
and should prevail. What are you trusting in tonight? Are you trusting in the flesh which is polluted by sin? Or are you trusting in the precious blood of Christ which he shed for sinners at Calvary? Christ has already conquered sin and all we have to do is to come and to trust in him and receive the free gift of redemption and eternal life through him. Unto him be all the glory and all the praise, world without end. Amen.